and welcome to Gippsland Anglicans On Air. Today we continue with our accessible book club during the season of creation. Week by week we are hearing chapters of Jonathan Cornford's book, Coming Home, to help us strengthen our Christian understanding and obligations for sustainable living. Morningstar Publishing says, In Coming Home, Jonathan Cornford joins biblical theology with analysis of contemporary problems to help chart a practical, hopeful and life-giving path through troubled times. The chapters of this book make sense independently, so you can join in at any point of our journey or plan ahead to hear a particular part. Visit www.gippslandanglicans.org.au for program details. If you have missed an episode or would like to listen again to something you enjoyed, Life FM's podcast is available online anytime. A note about the chapter you were hearing. To keep within our program timeframe, some parts of the chapter have been left out. We invite you to get a copy of the book and read the chapters, and we will also explain those parts when we meet to discuss this section on the 21st of September in an online chat. Today, you will hear from Gippsland Grammar student Oscar Hill reading Chapter 3, Consumption, from Coming Home by Jonathan Cornford, published by Morningstar Publishing. Chapter 3, Consumption, A Right Relationship to Things. What's the problem? It has often been noted in modern democracies the role of the citizens is being reshaped into the role of the consumer. One of George W. Bush's first appeals to the American people after the September 11th attacks was to show their defiance by shopping. As the global financial crisis began to bite in Australia in 2008, Prime Minister Kevin Rudd urged Australians to do the right thing by the country and spend money. At the deepest level, we have become a consumer society. No longer is the purpose of the economy to produce things for the good of the people. Rather, the purpose of the people is to consume things for the good of the economy. The mentality of consumption, indeed the spirit of consumption, lies at the very root of how we are being shaped and raised as people. To gain an appreciation for the extent of which our psyches have been moulded by consumerism, we only take a look at the role of advertising in our culture. Never before in history have people been subject to such a massive effort to mould the human mind. It has been estimated that the average urban Australian sees between 800 to 3,000 pieces of advertising every day. Advertising is everywhere, on billboards, the sides of houses, the roofs of taxis, plastered over shop windows, in public toilets, on virtual bowsers, TV, radio and the internet are saturated with advertising and we pay money to display advertising on our clothing. If you haven't noticed this extreme commercial bombardment, then it's an indicator of the extent to which it has been normalised for you. But whether you noticed it or not, don't imagine that you are not influenced by it. In 2010, around $12.5 billion was spent on advertising in Australia. Why so much? Because it works. The purpose of advertising is very simple. It is to manufacture discontent. The object of every advert is to make us feel a lack, to make us unhappy with who we are and what we have, and to offer a simple remedy through the purchase of a product. To do this, we are told, told thousands of thought stories about what life should be like and who we should be. Our attitudes to all the most important things in life, self-image, relationships, sexuality, children, parenting, work, leisure, food, happiness, meaning, purpose, needs and wants, are being moulded to encourage consumption. The psychology be- behind modern advertising has become, has become immensely sophisticated and so- subtle. As hundreds of millions of dollars are poured into researching the most effective ways to pull the levers of the human mind and soul. 
Perhaps most disturbingly, advertisers have discovered that children exert a very significant influence on their parents' purchasing behaviour. It is often referred to as pester power. A significant proportion of the advertising is now targeted at children, not just for the children's products, but also for things such as cars, homes, computers and holidays. Marketers view children as threefold market, an actual market for kids' stuff, an influence on the parents' purchasing behaviour and future market. And so the consumer economy is applying itself strenuously to shape our children's minds, a report from the UK states. The result is that today's average British child is familiar with as many as 400 brand names by the age of 10. Researchers report that our children are more likely to recognise Ronald McDonald and Nike Swoosh than a representation of Jesus. One study found that 69% of all three-year-olds could identify the McDonald's Golden Arches. Now here is the spirit of consumption, more evident than in our consumption of technology. The explosion of consumption of computers, laptops, smartphones, iPods, iPads, plasma screen TVs, games, consoles, Palm Pilots and more has ushered in a new age of constant consumption, in which users feel their devices have become redundant within one to two years, irrespective of their working conditions. Putting aside the psychological and spiritual effects of how these technologies have captured our consciousness, our technological consumption is having a very real impact upon the earth and upon the poor. These products are all combinations of plastic, derived from oil, minerals and silicone, all of which are mined from the earth. Much of this is in the developing world. Demand for our technology products is driving a global mining boom. The effects of mining in developing world have now been extensively documented. Whether in Latin America, Africa or Asia, mining has consistently had ne negative impacts on, upon local peoples and the environment, much of which goes unacknowledged, unmitigated and uncompensated. Moreover, the presence of large-scale resource extraction has been shown to negatively affect other sectors of the economy in many developing countries and to contribute to corruption and political oppression. What is known as the resource curse in the Congo, the mining of so-called conflict min minerals mostly destined for electronic devices has added fuel to one of the most costly civil wars in human history. Finally, as all of these products, bundles of plastic and heavy metals coated in toxic chemicals are being made continually obsolescent through persistent upgrading, they may go somewhere. The problem of e-waste has reached colossal proportions over that. Over 17 million electronic products are in the way every year in Australia. Only a fraction is recycled. Most of it goes into landfill, where heavy metals and toxic chemicals leak into soils and groundwater. Some of it is diverted by recycling in China or West Africa, where components are burnt and disassembled by poor workers, sometimes children, in primitive conditions with no controls, with serious consequences for the health of workers and the health of soils and waterways. We've tr been transformed into consuming machines, manipulated more than we know into continuous and ever-increasing acts of consumption, and it all does nothing less than catastrophic. We do not necessarily feel this to be the case because of the genus of the consumer economy. It has been on the one... It has been. On the one hand, to rapidly normalise each new step up the consumer ladder so we continually feel that our own consumption levels are merely treading water, on the other hand. The consumer economy increasingly has disconnected and abstracted 
our consumption for the realities of their production. We generally don't think about the brutal minerals war in the Congo whenever we pick up an iPhone, but the two are linked. Nevertheless, the evidence is incontrovertible. To feed our insatiable appetites, forests are disappearing and the earth is being dug up and and mountains levelled. Rivers are being polluted, diverted and dammed. Soil is being exhausted. The ocean is emptied of fish. According to the World's Wildlife Fund's Living Planet Report for 2010, our consumption of the Earth's resources has begun to exceed the planet's biocapacity. That is, the planet's ability to renew its sources each year, somewhere in the mid-1970s. Since then, world population has increased by around 3 billion people. At the same time, the rate of consumption, that is, the amount of Earth's resources each person uses, has also increased dramatically. Now here, more so than in the West, according to the Global Footprint Network, if everybody in the world lived like the average Australian does now, we would need between four to six planets to support us. The damage of our consumer lifestyle is not just out there. It is a growing body of of evidence showing just how bad it is for us. The supposed beneficiaries. In 2006, the Australian Institute reported that through wealthier than reported that Though wealthier than ever before and consuming more of the Earth's resources than ever before, 39% of Australians felt their overall quality of life was getting worse. It is now commonplace for these work, those working in the coalface of our social problems, psychologists, health specialists, family counsellors, drug and alcohol workers, to draw a link between the ill health that they are encountering and the predilections of a consumer culture. Indeed, it is, it, it is hard to think of any modern... Malaise, malaise, whether physical, mental, spiritual, social, or ecological, which is not in some way affected by the spiritual of consumerism. What does the Bible say? The Bible is deeply concerned with our relations to material things. Indeed, the Bible sees the place of material things in our lives as a spiritual matter of the greatest importance. As we shall see, the biblical messages message offers a powerful critic of the spirit of consumerism. However, we should not make the mistake of leaping into to the conclusion that everything has to say it has to say about stuff is negative. That is far from the truth. What the Bible says about our relationship to things is both more hopeful and more sobering than many would expect. On the one hand, the creation stories of Genesis, Genesis chapter one and two insist the material world is profoundly good, indeed very good, and that. Human beings are creatures of the earth, made to enjoy the earth and its fruits. The idea that the human soul is somehow separate from its body is entirely foreign to the biblical worldview. While some religions and spiritualities, including some versions of Christianity, have seen the life of the body as something to be denounced and escaped, the Bible unashamedly affirms that the material pleasure humans can derive from the good food, comfortable abodes and beautiful things are indeed pleasures that we are made to enjoy. The sentiment expressed by the psalmist is common to the Bible. You cause the grass to grow from the earth and plants for people to use, to bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the human heart, all to make the face shine and bread to strengthen the human heart. P.S. 104, 14, 15. Or the proverb which states, My child, 
Eat honey for its good, and drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Prov 24.13 However, a proverb like this one is very quickly followed by another. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, or else having too much, will, you will vomit it. Prov 25.16 Here, in very short form, we have a summary of the biblical attitude to things. Under the right conditions, the things of the world are good and to be enjoyed, but, and it's a very big but, outside of the right conditions, our relations to things can do untold harm. Indeed, it is one of the primal sources of human downfall. From beginning to end, the biblical story makes very clear, makes very clear that our access to God, our very salvation, is dependent upon establishing a right relationship to things. So what are the conditions of a right relationship to things? The first condition is such a relationship can only be established in the content of communities of enough. The manna story of Exodus 16 sets the foundational ethic for the Israelites to observe of they are to be able to enjoy the promised land, the land of milk and honey, the ethic is very simple. None shall have too little, too little, and none shall have too much. It is impossible to individually establish a right relationship to things in a context where others do not have enough. As 1 John bluntly puts it, How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? 1 John 3.17 the second condition, which flows from the first, is that we can never be in a right relationship with things when they have come at the expense of another. It is a major subject of the prophet's railings in the Old Testament. Alas for those who are at ease in Zion, and for those who feel secure on Mount Samaria. Alas for those who lie on beds of ivory and lounge on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, and like David improvise on instruments of music, who drink wine from bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore they shall now be the first to go into exile, and the revelry of the ledgers shall pass away. Amos 6, 1-7 As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, I shall judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats, it is not enough for you to feed on the good pasture, but you must tread down with your feet to with you, the rest of your pasture. When you drink of clear water, must you foul the rest with your feet, and must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your sheep with your feet, and drink what you have fouled with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Ezek thirty four seventeen to twenty. The biblical principle is a crystal clear. The rightness or otherwise of our acts of consumption only be understood, can only be understood with reference to our neighbours. Consumption that comes at the cost of others is, is pleasure that comes with a bitter end. As the old proverb puts it, better is a little with the righteousness than lied and come with injustice. Prov 16.8 The third condition one that is particularly hard for our culture to grasp, is that there is such things as too much, as a proverb about honey graphically illustrates. 
things which may be good in and of themselves start to become detrimental to our health beyond a certain limit. Indeed, so dangerous is the state of too much that some of the strongest things the Bible has to concern this state and now hear more so than the words of Jesus. How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. MK 10, 23-25 But woe to who are rich if you have received your consolation. LK 6, 24 These are hard teachings. They have been more commonly sidestepped than dealt with. However, there is no way of avoiding the fact that Jesus is going against the grain of society. sees wealth and luxury as something perilous to the human soul. The consistent biblical insight is that deep in the human condition is a tendency to allow to end up worshipping the things that we ourselves have made for our own enjoyment. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. The land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. Isa, true seven, true eight. How might we respond? The very fact that we can now describe our culture by reference to its idolatry of consumption, a consumer culture, emphasizes that a monumental task we have in trying to achieve a healthier relationship to things. The task requires both deep spiritual and mental struggle and critical awareness. It requires digging for inform information typically obscured from our view. It involves establishing new living habits and it involves overcoming all manner of practical complexities. We should not expect to transform our material lives quickly, but neither should we allow the scale of the task to be an excursion of inaction. Somehow or other, the health of the world and our own health needs us to find new ways of being consumers. The battle for your mind. Perhaps the most urgent task facing us is to become more fully conscious of the ways in which our relationship to things has been shaped by the culture and spirit of consumerism. This is a mental and spiritual exercise that has multiple dimensions. Firstly, it involves taking account for all the ways in which we ex expose ourselves to advertising. Through TV, flicking through magazines, the internet, or whatever Jesus understood, achieving a healthy relationship to things is dependent on taking control of what we give up our eyes to. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in your dark in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? MT 6, 22, 23. This Interesting little saying comes pointedly squeezed in between Jesus's teaching on treasure, where your treasure is, your heart is, and mammon, no one can serve two masters. We have very little hope of resisting the culture of consumerism if we continue to be immersed in its propaganda and wealthy. Practically, this needs involvement becoming more discerning, both in terms of quality and quantity, but we about what we are watching or looking at on screens, TV, movies, internet browsing, video games, or what we are reading. We need to ask, what is the effect of this on me? And is this a good use of my time? Moreover, 
Because it is impossible to escape the ocean of advertising and marketing, we need to get to the front door of becoming of and become critical integrators of the messages being continually blared at us. What is the story? Am I being told here? What motivations are being manipulated? Fear? Desire? What is the truth of the matter? Become more aware of the advertising around us. Ultimately means being more disturbed and angry about the lies being told us every day. It is a less comfortable place to be, but undoubtedly a healthier one. Secondly, we need to become more deeply aware of the th ways in which our desires for material goods and our assumptions about what is normal are shaped by the example of those around us. The genius of our culture of consumerism is that it is endlessly self-reinforcing. Each new increment of consumption, whether it is iPhones, Kindles or flat screen TVs, rapidly moves through the progression from luxury item to normalisation, to essential. I couldn't live without my iPad. We need to achieve a critical awareness of just how much we have. Two good ways of doing this are by comparing our lives to, uh, to others today, whose lives are literally a world away from ours, or comparing our lives to those of our grandparents when they were our age. If we persuade either of these exercises with anything more than superficiality, we will quickly discover that the material standard of living we consider normal is anything but normal. And perhaps more simply, but more profoundly, we will also discover that we do not need much of what we have. From here, we will be able to more critically reflect upon the big question of, of what effect our unprecedented levels of consumption has had upon ourselves and our lives. Are our lives really better? Responsible consumption. We have been relegated to the position of consumers in what is a largely destructive economic system. This means that if we are seeking to move closer to the biblical vision of achievement, a right relationship to things, we will need to practice our consumption with a level of care and consciousness, which is entirely foreign to our culture. The catch cry of the ethical consumer group is, your dollar is your vote. How can we use our dollars to vote for the world in which people and the planet are respected and nurtured rather than degraded and exploited? The heart of responsible consumption is the preparedness to pay more for many of the things we buy. The reason our food, household items and technological appliances are so cheap is that we do not pay the true cost of production or transport. We do not pay the cost of extracting food, energy or resources from the earth in ways that are careful and substantial. We do not pay a fair price for the human labour involved in production. We do not pay the cost to the biosphere of transport production. We do not related pollution. However, there are options available allowing us to choose items that have been reproduced with greater care in one or all of these areas. The simple principles involved in responsible consumption all derive from paying more attention to the things we buy. What stuff is this made from? Where does it come from? What was the impact of getting it? What role do people play in its production and how were they treated? How did it get here and what was the impact of the transport? These are basic questions, a bit, but finding answers can be much more complex. The easiest and perhaps most important place to start exploring these questions is in the area of food consumption. Choices for fair trade, organic, local, free-range and minimally packaged food products are all ways of expressing care for other people, other creatures and for the earth itself. However, they all cost more. 
There is now a wealth of resources available to help people begin exploring these sorts of choices, such as the Guide to Ethical Supermarket Shopping. In effect, such a guide does the heavy lifting of sifting large amounts of complex information to help you make the best choice you can when confronted with a bewildering variety of projects, products on a supermarket shelf. There are similar resources that have been developed for clothing and electronic goods. Similar questions apply to household items and appliances. Where did the materials come from and how were they made? With these sorts of items, we also need to give attention to efficiency, life cycle and durability. How much energy or water does this product use? How long will it last? What will happen to it once it work, its working life is over? Can it be recycled? Once again, being prepared to pay more will allow us to make choices for more efficient, better made, better designed and longer lasting products. Exploring the universe of responsible consumption is like following Alice down the rabbit hole. It is exciting and rewarding, but also often confusing. It requires thought and effort, not to mention lots of information, to be done well. Keeping perspective is critical. It is simply not possible in this economy to transform ourselves into perfectly ethical and sustainable purchases. The need for purity will only lead to paralysis. Then we need more than anything is movement. Consume less. Given the nature of our economy, becoming more responsible in our consumption is an important way of taking care of our neighbour and the earth. However, on its own, it is not enough. The end game of responsible consumption is to consume less. The world needs us to find ways to consume less, but this is easier said than done. The, rea the reality for most of us is that we tend to live according to our means indeed. With the advent of credit cards, we have been encouraged to live beyond our means. If our means expand, so it is our consumption. And in the eyes of the world, this is entirely how it should be. The surest way to, con to consume less is to begin to constrain your means. This is sheer madness as far as our culture is concerned, and yet it rings true to the counterintuitive gospel preached by Jesus. An easy way to begin to do this is simply by abandoning credit cards for debit cards. <laughs> Beginning to pay more for things for the sake of responsible consumption, or as discussed above, will also have the effect of constraining your means. Opting to do less paid employment, see chapter 2, and choosing to be more deliberate and structured in financial giving are also decisions that have, been, that have a similar effect. Being more disciplined in saving money, see chapter 6, especially if it is done by automatically redirected a portion of your income out of your spending account, is also a helpful way of limiting your spending budget. Reuse and repair. While responsible consumption often involves paying more, one of the best ways to reduce the impact of buying things actually involves paying less. That is, buying them secondhand. Every new purchase in the economy sends a signal through the market that it effectively says, make another one of those, which then sends a signal that says, extract more of those resources. When an item is bought secondhand, it short-circuits these market signals and does not stimulate new production. It also gives the materials used in the product a longer working life and keeps them from the waste pile that bit longer. These days, there is a wealth of items that can be bought secondhand in good quality and with relative ease. Clothing, furniture, household items and appliances, computers, bikes and cars. The list goes on. Whether it is through op shops, secondhand stores or web-based markets such as Gumtree, Trading Post and eBay, it has perhaps never been easier to find a good quality second-hand item. Indeed, 
Through groups such as FreeCycle, many useful things can be obtained for free. Technology. Finally, it should be clear by now that we can not talk meaningfully about responsible consumption today without talking about technology. Now, here is, has our distinction between needs and wants become more distorted, and here has our desire for the latest thing become more frenzied. In this area, perhaps more than any other, we need to undertake some hard spiritual and mental reflection about what is driving our use and consumption of technology. Do you really need this? How will it affect my life and behaviour? Perhaps the simplest and most urgent task facing us is to stop upgrading and changing our devices so rapidly. Actually, the problem is not that that we care too much about these devices, it is that we do not care anywhere near enough for about, about them. An electrical device, whether laptop, phone, monitor or iPad, is a composite of the Earth's finite resources and toxic chemicals, whose manufacture and transport requires significant output of energy that, costs, that comes at a cost to the Earth. If we accept, as most of us have, that we have to become some extent dependent on such costly goods, then we need to treat the world work that they do for us with far greater reverence and take their availability to us far less for granted. It should be our aim to get a far longer working life out of electronic devices than the producers of these devices intend. Firstly, this means not continuing to be fooled into thinking we need something that we have never had before and learning to be content with what we do have. This means we will need to stop judging the adequacy of our devices by comparing them with what everybody else has. Secondly, we we could begin to do the unthinkable and, and look into having devices repaired when they stop working properly. This is becoming harder and harder and is not simply not possible with some products, but still remains an option for many. It is a good example of the general principle that exhibiting care and responsibility costs in time, money, and inconvenience. Ultimately, if we are applying a biblical lens, then we should be treating the purchase of technology with seriousness that is utterly foreign to our culture. If we do decide to purchase or replace a device, we might consider whether we really need to the newest or latest things. One of the byproducts of such rampant turnover in electronic goods is that there is a very large second-hand market of entirely sound equipment. As mentioned above, a second-hand purchase short-circuits the signal for more production and resource extraction and extends the working life of materials. Purchase and begin using the guide to ethical supermarket shopping. Examples of steps people have taken. Organise with a group of friends or church group to do the ethical consumer group's shopping with a conscience workshop. Commit to buying only fair trade tea, coffee, chocolate and cocoa. Set a goal of buying a certain percentage of meat, milk, fruit veg and vegetables from organic and all local sources. Undertake a food miles audit of your pantry to build a picture of where your food is coming from. Begin to think of ways in which you could reduce those food miles. Undertake a packaging audit of your pantry. How could you reduce packaging through either alternate purchases or by buying in bulk? Try living up by the 100-mile diet for one week. A web search will reveal lots of info on how to do this. Try the Zero Waste Challenge for one week. A web search will reveal lots of info on how to do this. Begin to grow some of your own fruit and vegetables. Learn how to manufacture at home one or two food items that you use regularly. Example, bread, pasta, boiled tomatoes, jams and marmalades, cordials, wine and beer. 
Commit to trying to buy what you need secondhand before making a new purchase. Apply this to one, two, or all of the following areas. Clothing, kitchen goods, household goods and furniture, vehicles, garden tools, electronic devices. The next time you need to buy a large white goods, fridge, freezer, washing machine, undertake research in which appliances are most energy and water efficient, will last longer and which ones can be fully recycled. Be prepared to pay more for these features.